nights when one drink with the girls turns into a bottle, but you need your car for brunch the next day. There's pickup. Or at Friday work drinks, where you don't want to leave your car with expensive tools at the pub. There's pickup. Don't miss out on the fun. Get a pickup. Simply book on our app, and we'll pick you up to drive you and your car home. Two drivers arrive, one drives you home in your car, and the other driver follows. Download the pickup app today. That's PKUP, and wake up worry free. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock, Craig Ravel, welcoming you to a new year of Inside Supercars, and we've got one of the engineers on the move engineers in 2021. That being Brendan Hogan. Welcome, Brendan, to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, um, Tony. How you going? Well, we're all well here. Um, you and your busy family, your wife, are almost expecting your third, just about two any day. Yeah, she was um, she was due last last week, Christmas uh, Eve. So yeah, she's got one overdue now. So yeah, he's going to come out definitely well cooked. Brendan, we uh, since we last spoke to you, um, you've left the uh, the six foot pole, uh, low drive after many years, and you're now heading to a new team. But familiar surroundings because you've got a car, you know. Um, I assume you've got a driver you don't know and a team owner you don't know really well. But they're all things that you'll be picking up in the next few weeks. Yeah, well, um, the driver actually, I work with um, Tim Slade in his in his first year of supercars. So I was with I was at PMM with um, with Slade in his first year, and yeah, I was on um, I was on Ingalls' car that year. But yeah, obviously still new Slade, and then um, Tim. I, um, I went to university with um, Tim Blanchard, so I've known him. I think known him for like 15 or 16 years now. Um, we've been good friends, so yeah, it's not sort of not not coming to coming back to some familiar faces, that's for sure. And so now you've got a driver who he'll you'll be saying, well, Tim, give us your opinion because he has experience and knowledge that you uh, you've been looking for. Yeah, exactly. Like. I've been at um, at Tigford for the last five years, and sort of career hadn't really gone anywhere. It sort of sat still. So this opportunity come out um, around the AGP weekend when all the the COVID lockdown happened, and yeah, Tim had always sort of kept me in mind if um, if he was going to be starting up his own team. And yeah, the the COVID lockdown one was sort of the catalyst to. Um, yeah, just to start this um, career heading in a different direction. You're reacquainting yourself with uh, a piece of equipment that you know quite well, one that you uh, had your hands on well and truly. Yeah, the uh, the car known as PRA fifteen twenty. That's um, it's actually owned by Phil Monday. Um, so he has leased us leased it to us um, as along with another PRA car so it was actually the the other car is the one that Chaz finished in 2019 the season with with um after he's had his big shunt at the Gold Coast so he actually finished the season in in that Mustang um so that'll just be done up as like a, a T car a spare car um just in the same livery 
and then yeah, the the actual race car that we use will be the one that I ran um, the last two seasons, so 2019 and the first bit of 2020 with Will, and then JC, um, yeah, come on board, sort of around that whole the whole COVID thing that happened. Now, one of the things, of course, you will be experiencing will be freezing paint cards, as you well know that uh, Father, Grandfather John, Father John and Tim have all raced at the highest level and uh, have all been successful. Um, that, that must be rather fun to have people who are so well ingrained in motorsport in Australia. Yeah, well, that was that was one of the things that attracted me to this position because they're not getting in it, into anything that they're they're not fully aware of or or not fully committed to. Like there's going to be like they've been doing it for the best part of 50 years racing in Australia, so there's no surprises that are going to pop up that they're they're not aware of or anything like that. Like they know exactly what they're getting themselves in for. Um, they're going to use it to, to leverage the and get more awareness for the, the greater cool drive business. So, yeah, there's there's no surprises. I don't think there'll be any surprises for them. Like, they know exactly what they're getting themselves in for. And, yeah, that's that's another thing that attracted me to that position uh, with, with this team. How do you go from having four engineers, four lead engineers all working together talking about car setup to now going to a, an island? Yeah, well, um, one of the owners at Tigford, Sven, he actually commented that we're not actually, we're going, I'm going from being a brother to a cousin. Like, we're still going to be heavily involved with Tigford um, with their their engine program, something that we've um, continued over. Obviously, we've got their chassis, and then, yeah, we'll, we'll have an IP um, deal with them. So, yeah, I think what's going to end up happening is we'll just slot into that fourth car um, garage where we're essentially where I've been for the last couple of years anyway so I don't really see it as being a huge change yeah the the preparation preparation side of things can have a lot more control over so the uh, components going onto the car will probably be a bit higher standard than than what they had been so yeah it's just to have a bit more control on that side of thing but yeah we'll still be heavily involved with the um, with the Tigford uh, program so yeah going from being a brother to a cousin now and one of the one of the things that owners have um, been concerned about when they've been a one car team is the sharing of the crew duties and pit stops in particular, not having that um, team that's working together all the time. How are you looking at managing that potential issue? Um, yeah, well, the the main way that we're going to do that is we're just going to obviously spend time at, e- at each other's workshops like we're going to be spending some time at Tigford because they've got a a uh, pit stop ute there that they use just for pit stop practice and then we'll get the guys to come over to our workshop and have a go on, on our pit stop rig like just so that we actually are sort of working as one one unit. Um, the numbers depending on which round it is you don't need to supply as many people so looking we'll probably only be six people across the line so uh, a wheel gun for each side um, for for next year for some rounds, and then if we're taking fuel, we just need to supply uh, one more person for those sort of longer events. But yeah, to, to answer your question, yeah, we'll just be spending some time at Tigford. Like I, I know all the guys there, um, the crew that we're getting together, are, a couple of them are fresh faces to supercars. So 
yeah, we'll get them involved with Tigford, get them up to speed as quickly as we can, and yeah, try and shortcut the learning process. Have you got a crew chief yet? Uh, not a crew chief. We're going to have sort of mixed roles. So the way that I see it, there's not going to be like the traditional traditional roles just because the way that supercars is heading, like they're pulling more and more sensors off the car. So you're going to have to be able to have a, a, an engineer that can do some hands-on stuff. So, yeah, we'll be probably one of the smaller teams in pit lane, but then everyone's going to be able to do multiple roles, including the race engineer. So I won't be engineering the car. Um, we've got someone lined up to do that. Um, yeah, who will also be able to help out with putting the car together. It's been interesting. I had a conversation recently with Tom Howard, who you'd remember from Speed Cafe, and he's gone back to England now and has spent a year with BTCC. And he said one of the huge things is the size of the team and the size uh, of the staffing that's required for BTC as opposed to supercars. In some respects, are you looking at models from overseas for how you're going to manage running a team in 2021 and beyond? Uh, well, yeah, saying that, we've we've actually got a number one from BTCC that's come out, Lewis. He worked at West Surrey Racing for the last nine years and won three out of the last four championships, so he's come on board as, as our number one for the season. Um yeah, in terms of looking at models, we're just sort of looking at based on experience from Australia because I think the the level of um, engineering and and preparation level that has to go into a supercar is probably one of the highest levels in the world. But in terms of what those other categories have overseas, they sort of have specialised people to do just like one part of the car, whereas we'll, we'll sort of be doing multiple parts of the car just being a one car team so we won't be like the guys the number one on the car would also have to build the brakes whereas some of those teams overseas they sort of have one guy to put the brakes on and another guy to put it upright in and yeah it's just very diluted the amount of work that um, each person has to do so yeah with our team there won't be anywhere to hide it'll just be um, yeah all hands on deck Brendan, um, one of the things, of course, that uh, you will be bringing with uh, yourself to the uh, knowledge of the game will be knowledge of the Mustang. Where are you about sort of getting ready for Gen 3, and, and what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, in terms of Gen 3, I sort of seen the only thing that I've really seen for that is like just a preliminary um, proposal that had been given by the teams, uh, or given to the teams. So where we are, where it's at, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to pull the costs out of it is what they're they're hoping for um but yeah at the moment we're sort of just sitting back and seeing what uh direction that it that it heads in because i think the actual the actual car design is um is a very good car i think what they propose will be um very good car but i think you need to not get confused with that we're actually in the entertainment business number one so you could build this beautiful car, all carbon fibre, everything's billet, costs a million dollars. Um, but then it might not actually add anything to the entertainment value. I just think they've just got to make the cars a lot cheaper to probably crash. It's probably the, the best word. So that if you do have a monumental, I think 
it's not going to be the end of the world. And if they really try and structure it so you can do reverse grid races, I think that's going to be the best thing to increase that entertained value because at the end of the day, that's, that's what industry we're in. It has been fascinating speaking to a lot of engineers over the past uh, four, four months and the differences of opinion over the way the uh, changes to the amount of data and when you can see certain parts of data and those things have gone. What's been your take on controlling the data and reducing reducing it? Did it make more work for you? Did it feel like it it evened the field or do you think it had no difference? Um, I think depends on which side of the fence you sit on. Like the, the cream's always going to rise to the top. So those good teams, if you pull sensors off them, they're always going to find ways to re-engineer or re-generate um, the lost channels. So for me, I think all it really did is it just separated the the haves and the haves-nots with the amount of stuff that they did. So they should have actually pulled more sensors off again because the thing that we're trying to get away from with supercars is just to stop people having remote hubs at the workshop and leaving engineers at home. So the, the best way to do that is just pull more sensors off it so you just have less and less eyes that can look at things. And, yeah, there will be the argument coming back saying, well, we need you guys, like the the lower teams, to have more information so that you don't need to regenerate these lost channels. But as a team manager of a one-car team, smallest budget, I'm pushing to have more sensors taken off the car because I don't think they add anything to the entertainment. And, yeah, there is that niche market that seems to be what people are chasing after with all these sensors and all this data. But at the end of the day, it doesn't actually make the racing any better. And if anything, it, it separates the haves and the have-nots more. Are you looking at a model then that will have a lot more part-time staff involved or a lot more people who are maybe weekend warriors, as we used to call them? Yeah, I think there's sort of two ways that people will go. Like, we're sort of taking the approach is we still want full-time staff with our team, but we want them to be able to do physical work on the car. So that's that's the direction that we're heading because we can't really justify having someone part-time in another state when we've got side skirts that need to be fitted on a car. So for us, we just got to make sure everyone we can employ um, can does have the ability or can be taught the ability how to how to actually put stuff on the car, uh, which then in turn will probably help them become a better engineer. And I think that yeah, they just we just got to make sure that the category doesn't lose sight that yeah we're we're primar- primarily a um, an entertainment business and watching a car drive past made out of metric tube with all sensors on it is not entertainment to me. You need to have close racing. The cars need to be able to follow each other closer. You need to have more overtaking so the cars, wider cars, don't make it easier for overtaking. So, yeah, that's that's sort of, <laughs> yeah. Smaller holes, in, smaller holes in the air and uh, the ability to be able to pull out and not lose copious amounts of speed from uh, hitting a brick wall of air. Well, the problem with, with the car now is not so much in the brick wall of air. It's, it's just the front tyre temp. So at the moment, you can't follow another car close enough because 
the weight coming off the car ahead is just so horrendous that it just makes you have massive high-speed understeer or even mid-speed, low-speed understeer just from the aero balance change. So then all that does is you end up putting more lock on, which just cooks the front tyres even quicker. And then if you don't pass someone within half a lap, forget about it because you're not going to be able to break in the same spot because your your front tyre temps are too high. So I think where we need to, where the category needs to sort of change tact a little bit is just how the cars are actually generating downforce. And if you look at like what F1 are doing, they've identified it for their new regs. Like they've got to just try and make more... Uh, downforce off the underside of the car so that it's not affected by the car in front as possible. Like what we're using now, tools like gurney flap height and all that sort of stuff to try and bring back the parity. Yeah, they look good for one car by itself, but it, it was known like as soon as the Nissan come out, they had a huge gurney flap on the back of that. And you knew that if you ever got behind a Nissan, you were in for massive, massive high-speed understeer. And then for some reason now every car in the category's got the gurney flap on the on the um on the drinks tray, the second lip on the boot and on the um yeah, on the, the second elements on the wing. So that for me, yeah, just need to make sure that the car's generating the downforce from the underside of the car, whether it be from a flat floor or what they're doing in F one. Um, that's that's the best way that'll improve the racing because the guys at the moment, the whole category knows as soon as you get within that two-tenths, three-tenths of someone, forget about it. Like, you're just going to cook the tyres and that's it. So I guess you're advocating then for as much control or single-source parts as possible and bring everyone closer together, and that should then, you know, stop some of the haves have not parts of motor racing or supercar racing being able to take over. Yeah, well, the thing is, like, it's just about eliminating variables. Like, variables cost money. So if you introduced a variable into, like, a control category, straight away all the good teams will will focus on developing that variable or whatever freedom there is within the rule. So, yeah, I don't... I think spec racing is going to be something that has to be looked at seriously for the the health of the category and they always come back with manufacturers oh we need to we need to entice manufacturers we need to do this but i think the manufacturers like only really help out maybe two or three teams in the whole category and if, if a manufacturer comes in a new one they need to have a big financial investment into the sport and if they don't get any results they'll just leave and then the category sort of bent over backwards to entice a new manufacturer, which then they're not going to cater to because, yeah, I think I think the spec series is what Australian motorsport needs to sort of rejuvenate itself and just inc- increase the passing of what's happening. Like at the moment, the best racing is MotoGP. The, the bike width relative to the track width is quite small. So... You're going to get more lines through a track. You watch Aussie racing cars, there's always different lines that cars are taking. So I think we just need to make sure we're not going to make the cars too wide, which will take away from the element of racing. Yes, they may look like exactly what the road car looks like, but I don't think it's going to improve the race, the on-track racing, which is the entertainment value that, that you need to get. So having spec parts on the car will reduce the cost for everyone. Um, 
yeah, people will say, oh, no, it's Carrera Cup or we can't have it like that. But it's it, it still will be V8 supercars. It's just that the wage justification of someone on over half a million dollars for an engineer won't won't exist anymore because there's not a variable that they can play with to um to to get the competitive advantage. We are going to see a softer tire. Is a softer tire great in a test? But once again, when aero comes in, you're going to burn it off quicker. Yeah, I think I think the soft tire thing is is a really good. I really liked the rounds last year um, with the mixed tire. I think that was exactly what the category needed because you needed to have sponsors engaged, like who wouldn't normally get coverage. I think that's that's one thing the category got lot right. But the um, the traditionalist of the um, of the sport didn't really sit too well with them because um, they couldn't win every race of the of the championship with the rules structured that way. Like they had to take the hit sometime. So it didn't, didn't suit them. So yeah, I think the soft tire, yeah, I definitely think we need high degradation tire, but I still think that there's still, there needs to be a change with the arrow or the way that we actually attack the arrow so that the guys just need to be able to follow closer. So the soft tire is just going to make a bigger lap time delta from the guys who pit early, the guys to pit later. But if there's not the aero wash, you wouldn't need to sort of put it on with a Band-Aid with a tyre. Like, if the good cars would still be able to come through without um, without a high-deg tyre. But I do think a high-deg tyre definitely helps with that entertainment value. Like, we saw it at the... The, the best track for racing used to be Perth, old surface. Like, the worst thing they ever did was resurface that joint. Like, that killed the racing because you took away an element for the um of of the ability for people to run different strategies, pit late, pit again. The best thing with Perth as well is it's got a really short pit lane loss time. So it's another element that it brings back into the races where you see a brand new track getting designed now and they put the pit lane right on the middle of the front straight, which is the worst spot ever because you have the biggest pit lane loss time. So the tracks have a um, a bit to do with um, increasing the entertainment value as well. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of elements that you could do that wouldn't wouldn't cost a lot of money to increase the show, um, but it starts, like, right at the very top. Like, if you said to someone, well, you should put a chicane on the front straight of Phillip Island so that you don't have as big a pit loss time, everyone would be up in arms. Like, it just would never get through. And then you actually start explaining it to people, well, this is why. You're not going to increase the pit lane speed to 100Ks at Phillip Island. Like, you need to be able to, yeah, try and bring back another element of racing. So then, yeah, the skill of the the race engineer or whoever's doing the strategy um, comes back into the sport. Because at the moment, it's a qualifying championship. I've long said that uh, Simmons Plains and Perth are two of the best rounds every year. Track. The track is small, and uh, the the bang for your buck race wise is always at the highest. Yeah, but at, at every time, like I don't know where I think it must come from the local sporting clubs who go out on the weekend and they wear all their tyres out, so they just say the track needs to be resurfaced. But track resurface, everyone goes faster. But the guy you're trying to race is going faster as well, so and his tyres aren't wearing out. Whereas with the old surface, 
yeah, it just it makes me cringe every time they say they're going to resurface the track because straight away you've pulled out an element from the racing. Like every, if you went back looked at the passing from Perth um, before and after resurface, Winton before and after resurface, Bathurst before and after resurface, you would see a massive drop in passing just because you've pulled an element out of the out of the racing. And the tracks are so good now, the drivers are so good. Like, there's very minimal mistakes um, from anyone. So, yeah, the, the chances of getting the job done without a Hail Mary passing move is, um, yeah, it's quite hard. And in turn, the last 20 years, the guys in the pit lane, which was why pit stops were brought in, because there was the element that someone would make a mistake in a pit stop, you guys in there responded by upping your game there, and we see very little of finger problems, both from the garage work or the pit lane work. Yeah, well, that's it. Like, that's just um, galvanised what I was saying before about super, the level of of uh, mechanic and engineer in supercars is, is probably the highest in the world, just simply because you can't have... 400 people doing one job so the actual individuals have to be able to lift and yeah like you're always going to have problems in pit lane but slowly we're seeing less and less problems and the preparation on the guns and what the guys are doing um, in the gym and everything like it's just really bringing down the difference between like what used to be an element of the race was oh how good your pit stop going to be now it's just everyone's got to have to do an awesome pit stop because you're never going to pass anyone on the track. So then they invest, all the teams invest massively into the variable of of the pit stop, which I think's like, it's good. It's just part of the racing. Like, you have to have the pit stop because it's just another variable element that gets put in there. But, yeah, everyone's just chasing that last little bit. If you lock down more areas of the car, then more money will get spent in other areas. Um, the pit stops, yeah, is just is just an example of that. With the thought that you've shown uh, involved in the supercars that you, where you've been and where you're going with the Tims and the, the Blanchard, um, it's going to be something to see uh, the way in which you as a single-car team adapt to this new environment and the way in which uh, you're able to uh, help uh, Timmy Slade get out there and... and so well and truly that you as a, a team can uh, really perform at the highest level, which uh, we certainly wish you the very best of luck for 2021 and beyond. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Tony. I think, um, yeah, Slade, like, impressed at, uh, at Bathurst, obviously driving with Scotty. Um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think it should be a pretty good, um, pretty good year, and, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Well, we'll be watching you as well, and um, we are certainly from Inside Supercars with you and, and the Full Drive team all the way back to your debut meeting at uh, Bathurst, and certainly way beyond that. So thanks for joining us on Inside Supercars, Brendan Hogan. All right, thanks guys, thanks for having me. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device, search Inside Supercars. 
The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.